Hello and welcome to The Stushy, the Scottish politics podcast from DC Thompson that helps you be better briefed. I'm Andy Phillip and I'm joined today by colleagues Justin Bowie and Derek Healy to take you through the big stories and how they affect communities close to our homes. Today we're assembled in the immediate hours after a big development in the future of Britain's energy policy. The enormous Rosebank oil field has been approved for development. It's a big one, a controversial one, and immediately created a hard dividing line between people who say it's vital for job and energy security and those who claim it's an act of environmental vandalism. More on that a little later. It's also timely because Prime Minister Rishi Sunak effectively signalled that all bets are off last week with his multiple U-turns on reaching climate and environmental goals. He says the UK can still get there, no problem, but it turns out we don't need to do any of the hard graft that predecessors, including Boris Johnson, said that we actually had to do. The U-turns include uh, Rishi Sunak confirming the UK would push back the deadline for new petrol and diesel cars being sold and phasing out gas boilers. Um, He also went off piste slightly by talking about meat taxes and the number of bins we might have, which kind of made a mockery of what was a pretty big topic at the time as well. In Holyrood, the reverberations were felt on Tuesday night. Um, Conservative MSP Morris Golden, a North East regional member, He's fast shaping up to be a thorn in the leadership side, actually. He said he could not support his party in falling in line behind Rishi's new position on many of these things. He's already in a tense political relationship, I would say, with the Scottish leader Douglas Ross. Our political reporter colleague Alistair Clark caught up with Maurice Golden before we met today to ask him more about that relationship and specifically his view of Rishi Sunak at the helm of the UK Tory party. Well, I think he is showing leadership. Um, I mean... Uh, not the leadership that I would like on climate change, but there's no doubt he's he's, he's showing that he's leading uh, in this area. Um, and many people will welcome it. I don't, and that's fine. But I'm a big advocate for tackling climate change. I'm an environmentalist. And I also support evidence-based policy making. We don't see that very often in the Scottish Parliament. But actually, I supported Rishi uh, in his leadership bid, and I believe that he would uh, deliver that evidence-based approach. And clearly from um, what individual manufacturers have been saying, that it, it doesn't seem to lend itself to that particular approach. And that's why I was disappointed to learn about it. And and you might not thank me for saying this, Maurice, but you do enjoy your reputation in Holyrood as an MSP who who isn't afraid to engage with ministers or work across the chamber, um, you know, outside of outside of your own party. But that is quite unique in Scottish politics, I think, just now. Um, and I think you know the Scottish and UK governments really haven't found many that much issue that they can can work on together recently. The SNP would say, you know, they were blindsided by this announcement from the Prime Minister and actually it means they're going to have to spend some time analysing the impact and, you know, potentially adapting some of their policies because of changes at a UK level. I mean, does that do Scots a disservice and, and would you like to see, you know, a more cross-governmental approach and working together more seriously on these issues? I would, and I think it's really unhelpful at the approach that the Scottish Government have taken on this and a host of other issues. I mean, even in their motion, it was um, 
using really unhelpful and quite jingoistic language around this. There was a way to express disappointment at Rishi's announcement, like I have, um, but they chose not to do that. They chose not to be reasonable. Um, I think Scotland is best served when both of Scotland's governments work together, but at this stage, in this parliament, that rarely occurs. And actually, it's, uh, it's a design that is based on antagonism. And I think that's deeply unhelpful for delivering for the people of Scotland. Mm -hmm. and, and obviously, you know, on this issue, is it something that you would be comfortable with the, the Scottish Conservatives taking a more distinct approach on, on these sort of issues where, you know, devolved matters um, are, are for the Scottish Parliament to decide? Um, would you be more comfortable than, than perhaps uh, the, you know, the party has just now taken a more uh, unique approach? Well, we've done it in the past, and it's the whole point of having uh, a, a devolved settlement that you should, uh, at times, come to a different decision based on the needs of the people of Scotland versus what the UK is deciding based on the needs of everyone in the United Kingdom. It would be astonishing if parties came to the exact same conclusions on every different policy debate. And, you know, I know it happens with the SNP. I know they shut down people who are uh, vocal. And I believe that we should have different policies on a case-by-case -case basis. It's not about doing it um, just for the sake of it, but we've, we've done it in the past. There's no reason why we couldn't have done it this time, and there's no reason why we shouldn't do it in the future if it's right for the people that we represent. Mm -hmm. And obviously you represent the North East. It's, it's an area with particular relevance to this issue. Obviously in Aberdeen, the oil and gas sector is of huge importance to the economy and to the people that live there. You know, renewables are a growing uh, sector within the North East as well. You'll obviously be speaking to businesses and things like that about these issues. Uh, and, and do you think that is, you know, what they want is that, like you said, certainty around what the policy is going to be and, and government really working with the sector, whatever, you know, party that government is. Um, that, that seems to be what businesses want on this more than anything else. Yeah, and I think that's where the UK government um, and Rishi Sunak has a great story to tell because they are supportive of uh, the North East. They are supportive of oil and gas. They want to see that transition to renewables. And that's one of the reasons why in a, in a UK energy market context, there's there's been such a massive expansion of renewables uh, in Scotland and in you know everywhere from courier country right the way up to... Peter Head, and I think that's uh, fantastic to see. I think it's uh, a great success story of the UK and the UK market delivering for the people of Scotland. Morris, lastly, we're likely less than a year out from a general election. If we believe the polls, it could be quite a challenging election for your party and for the SNP. But, you know, for Douglas Ross and for the Scottish Conservatives, what do you think success looks like in that election? I think it's a, a minimum of um, a double-digit target for um, the general election. I think there's uh, no reason why we shouldn't be getting back to the 2017 uh, levels. Uh, undoubtedly, in, in 2019, um, 
largely driven by Boris. That lost us literally thousands of votes and cost many seats uh, in Scotland. I think with Rishi, uh, we have someone who uh, can be trusted, who is accountable, uh, is reliable, despite what I've said around climate change. Um, but overall, the package which Rishi offers um, should be a positive one up here in Scotland. And that's why I think we'll see uh, an increase in the number of seats overall and a bigger representation for the Scottish Conservatives in um, in the North East. And I think that is uh, the minimum that we should be looking for. That was North East Conservative MSP Morris Golden there talking with Alistair Clark. Uh, the timing of that interview is, is interesting because obviously he had something to say about the fact he couldn't back the Scottish Conservative Party in Parliament in line with Rishi Sunak's new approach to environmental targets. Of course, moments after that, things started to change, and here we are today looking at the approval of a huge oil field. Um, I think before we kind of get into the, the interview, talking about uh, Rosebank, climate, environment, and also the internal and external politics um, and how it applies here, Rosebank itself, we should just have a quick catch-up, really, it's a huge field off the northwest of Shetland. It contains up to 350 million barrels of oil, so we're told. It's the largest untapped discovery in UK waters. So it could produce thousands of barrels, about 69,000, 70,000 barrels of oil a day, which is apparently 8% of the UK's projected daily output. Derek, there's obviously a huge untapped potential here in terms of jobs and cash and security, so we're told. So why is this such a big deal? I mean, it's been it's been hugely controversial all the way through, and it's been. You're right. I mean, there is this kind of argument between the benefits it could bring to the local community, the benefits it could bring across Scotland, um, the wealth, the jobs, as you point out. The, the the big question has been the climate impact of this. It could re release so much carbon dioxide, um, and the kind of long term climate impact that it would have. Those have been the kind of stumbling blocks. But also, what we've seen more recently is arguments about you know one of the big things the UK government has been pushing is to have energy security and um, to come to move away from the kind of issues we saw with Russia and having to buy in um, oil and gas from other places but one of the arguments around this is actually this is not you know oil and gas is going to be used in the UK it is going to be shipped elsewhere it's going to go to Norway and there's going to be a huge benefit for people in Norway that's been the suggestion so there are all these sort of dividing lines and different arguments coming across, but really it has been kind of pitching the local benefit, the benefit to the UK economy generally against climate action mm. and net zero. And that's where it's kind of the controversies come from. It's interesting as well, because it's not just on one side there are Greens, on the other side there are Conservatives or business against um, environmental campaigners. It's not like that. I mean, even look in the SNP, it's it's not it's not clear Um Nicola Sturgeon, remember her? She was calling this, uh, an, you know, the biggest environmental vandalism of her lifetime. But also I read on social media and in, in the press that her former SNP press chief, who's now not in the party doing other things, he says it's good news, um, a northeast guy. Hamza Yousaf, the first minister, he's slightly more measured uh, in tone than Nicola Sturgeon is out of office. He says he's disappointed that the Rosebank field's been given the go-ahead and that they've raised concerns and then goes on to talk about Scotland remaining on the right side of history. So there's so many different bits of nuance to this. Justin, do you, you, you follow this debate as well? 
How do you see uh, this decision going down within the SNP? Well, let's not forget, obviously, until somewhat recently, the SNP stance was very much it's Scotland's oil. They, huh. they formed a key part of the argument for independence. Now, somebody like Nicola Sturgeon has been in the SNP for decades. Cl- climate change is not a new thing. Obviously, the speed at which we need to tackle it as you know global heating accelerates, it's kind of you know getting more and more urgent. But it's not a new thing in that regard. So I'm sure that there will be some people within the SNP whose opposition to this is less that it's happening and more that you know they want Scotland to solely benefit. One of the arguments SNP voters will make, the pro-independence voters have often made in the past, is that you know this idea that the oil is going to go to the UK Treasury, where you know as opposed to Scotland solely benefiting from it. So it's quite an interesting one in that regard. I mean, during the SNP leadership race, this became obviously a key topic. Kate Forbes and Ash Regan both kind of diverged from that party line of opposing new oil and gas projects. Somebody like Stephen Flynn in the North East, obviously SNP Westminster leader, has taken the party line to a degree, but at times has has certainly emphasised the need for that transition to net zero to be very supportive mm-hmm. of ensuring that um, workers still have work. So it's one of those topics where it's not as if everybody in, in the SNP is against this and it's not as if it's just a few internal critics who are constantly speaking out against the party line. There is a broad base of support, I would say, for if not continuing to extract oil and gas, certainly exploring the possibility of extracting oil and gas. So we're talking about the SNP there, we're talking about oil, we're talking about environmental targets and job security kind of wrestle this back to what we just heard from Morris Golden as well. He's obviously having a little bit of trouble squaring the circle with how his party is behaving in government and in in the Scottish Parliament with the goals that he thinks that we should be able to achieve. I mean, listening to his interview, do you detect a wider sense of tension that we're, we're going on one path because we know that the economy needs supported and jobs need supported? We've put a little curtain and we're pretending that both of these things can't happen somehow. I mean, how do we look after the environment and keep pumping oil at the ground? The Tories are wrestling with this themselves. Well, I think, obviously, it's been a big problem in the past year or so with you know Russia's invasion of Ukraine that was coupled with rising energy prices. And it perhaps made some politicians realise that that transition away from oil and gas perhaps isn't as simple as we wanted it to be. It also came in the aftermath of COP26 when... There was a lot of strong rhetoric on the climate. I remember Boris Johnson almost talking about it like, you know, a spy movie. That, you know, the clock is ticking. We need to you know, come down to the last second to save the world. Really dramatic rhetoric. And I suppose in the lead up to, to COP26, the UK wanted to be seen as a leader on the climate. But, you know, the kind of general rise in prices, the sort of slowdown in the economy and the rise in inflation has perhaps made some politicians take that tack of, well, if the economy's sluggish, if we're struggling... If the oil and gas is there, and if that can give the Treasury a big boost, then why are we not using it? So it almost comes down to a very simple case of, well, we have this environmental target or environmental targets we need to hit. But when there's a quick fix that can get the economy moving again, and when the oil and gas is there, and when other countries are continuing to extract as well, why are we not just using it? Yeah. Derek, is that chime with what you're hearing on the ground as well, with among people in the Conservatives in particular? I know you've spoken to Morris Golden in the past. In our line of work, we're, we're often speaking to these people just in the, the margins of other stories to sort of get a sense of what parties are thinking. He's clearly not very happy at the moment with the way that the party in Scotland, at least, is is formulated. And, and perhaps a few little 
jabs in the side of Douglas Ross as well. Yeah, I mean, I think that's something Douglas Ross has been facing, hasn't it been? I mean, um, I wrote a story about insiders, party insiders, saying that it faced death by a thousand cuts and it had given up in being the opposition under Douglas Ross. And um, yeah, just some kind of some MSPs and some insiders really expressing concerns. I just wanted to mention one thing. I mean, uh, Nicola Sturgeon saying that this is an act of environmental vandalism and Hamza Yousaf being disappointed, you know, you mm-hmm. referenced both of those. I mean, the Scottish government has repeatedly failed to meet its own climate target. So to some extent, this has become a kind of game of political football. Yeah. I mean, we've talked a little bit about Rishi Sunak's um, statement the other day. This this is a clearly a kind of short-term strategy. This is about an election strategy. And I think that's where they are going to rub some people in the party up the wrong way with this, um, who have strong feelings on, on climate action. This is about going into the next general election and being able to say to voters repeatedly, I'm sure this will be driven home again and again, um, this line about ten to £15,000 per household, that's the cost of this, that's what Rishi Sunak's claim was, about um, if you want to stay on the path that, that was being suggested before, rather than rowing back in all these sort of plans, it's going to cost ten to £15,000, and you're going to hear that again and again and again in the next election. And I think that's what's going on here. It's about the Conservatives going into the election and thinking, we look really bad in the polls, what are some really good attack lines that are going to really resonate with people when they're concerned about the cost of living? And I think that's exactly what's happening here. Um, it's about trying to change that strategy, change the messaging. So, of course, you're going to have an element of people within the party being really concerned about that. Yeah. Okay. Well, moving on a little bit, there's uh, there's been a theme running through a lot of things that are happening this week in, in Scottish politics and out and about in the communities that we cover. Um, it's not just about oil and climate change there's this the general state of the environment uh, anyone paying any attention to the news in the past well months and months really will be aware of the 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 obvious environmental aspects of things like sewage the water quality air quality everything else that we keep hearing is is in decline uh, in england we he- hear a lot about monitoring of um, water and about uh, the, the sewage that's getting pumped into there not so much in Scotland, um, but is that because we're perfectly clean or is it because we're not testing the water? Justin, you have been looking at this this week. Well, yes. So there was an interesting report at the weekend which revealed that 50 out of 89 of Scotland's top beaches for swimming um, had sewage levels which were you know, unsafe and above the recommended guidelines you know, in, in, in terms of safety. And the worst in Scotland, according to these statistics, was Lower Largo Beach in Fife, which I'm sure some of our listeners in Fife will be well accustomed with. Um, and during some tests, it had, it had had up to 50 times the recommended sewage levels. Now, that's pretty dreadful. Um, one of our courier reporters did a story on this last year, and she was human feces washing, washing up on the beach. So pretty unpleasant situation. Um, so... Looking into this, I think one aspect is, and this was a key point that locals can very much wanted to point out, was the fact that increased testing in the area, which was asked for by residents, has perhaps flagged the extent of this problem. So residents knew it was bad, and the fact that they've been testing a lot over the summer has shown the kind of level of what's happening, I suppose, on windy and rainy days. And it definitely feeds into that wider kind of environmental topic where it's just, number one, it's just really, really unpleasant. But I think it also feeds into a sort of wider decay of services. We've seen 
cuts to councils, we've seen cuts to services over the you know over the years while budgets are tight. But the problem is that when when you cut services, well, there's less testing, there's less people to clean up, you know, the mess that ends up on your beaches. And it almost becomes this sort of very strong visual met- metaphor for this sort of decline in public services, which we seem to see at every level. You know, public mm-hmm. transport's often not working. We've got schools on strike this week. The NHS is barely functioning at times. And it turns out, if you know, if you don't keep your sewers up to date, if you don't keep them upgraded, if you don't have people monitoring the water to keep your beaches clean, well, yeah, this is what happens. You end up with filth strewn all over your beaches. So... It's definitely a major problem, and it's one of those things, you know, if you're in Lower Largo, you have a beautiful beach, there's maybe been some investment in that to have better services at the beach, but if suddenly it's going to be covered in sewage, people aren't going to want to necessarily go there. And locals were keen to emphasise, this is not happening every day, so the beach is still safe, the beach is still clean most of the time, but it's clearly not a good thing if sewage is washing up on your beaches much more than it should be, and if it's at the point where it's 50 times the recommended safety level, then that's clearly of concern. So the Lib Dems who have been pushing on this want the SNP to make a statement on it in Holyrood. And I think it's one of those topics that's really going to resonate with voters because it's right there in front of you. You know, people love using their beaches when it's on their doorstep. So yeah. at both a Scotland and UK level, it's something the government are really going to need to get to grips with. Yeah, and and as Derek was mentioning earlier, there was this idea that the SNP in the Scottish government will be quick and correct in a lot of senses to to raise the alarm when the Conservative government in the UK in the UK are failing on a particular measure, let's say water quality. But when that, I was going to say erupted, but that's probably a visual a visual sign that you probably don't want to hear. But when that sewage story erupted. Um, in England, there wasn't the same story in Scotland and the SNP were quick to say, oh, well, this is more evidence of bad conservatives. But Derek, as you were pointing out before, it's you know, just because we're not, we don't have a problem here. Is that because it's it's not been found? I mean, the SNP have got the same problem, even if it's not at the same level. Yeah, I mean, I think that's quite interesting because I remember that story coming out um, down, down in England um, and thinking, that's absolutely horrible. That's disgusting. Um, and there was a lot of criticism um, being, being levied around that time. So it was very interesting to see um, you know, Justin's reporting on this and that this has been um, actually a very similar situation mm-hmm. going on in Scotland. And I think it speaks to a kind of wider kind of decline in standards across the UK that probably needs to be addressed, regardless of what parties in government or how long they've mm-hmm. been there for. Um, it seems like those are those are issues in every single part yeah. of the UK at the moment. Okay, well, there's a lot more to come on these ones. So we'll be back next week uh, with more from your favourite Scottish politics podcast, The Stushy. Thanks this week to Derek Healy, Alistair Clark, Justin Bowie, guest Morris Golden, producer Morvan McIntyre, and of course to you for listening. We'll be back next week, but until then, pick up a paper or log on to The Courier, The Press and Journal, Sunday Post, and all of our news brands so that you can be better briefed.